Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. If you've been watching the news, big problems in Japan. They came out last night or this morning and said that they were abandoning their current yield curve policy. Now, this doesn't mean, or yield curve control, I should say. Now, it doesn't mean that they're abandoning yield curve control altogether, but they're changing the interest rates. They're changing the rules, the goalposts, if you will. Why? Because I think they're getting a lot of pressure with internal consumer price inflation. And Luke Groman made a very good point on Twitter that they could be trying to attract dollars into the country in order to have enough dollars to pay for the oil or energy they need to import. So let's just go right over. Let me do a screen share and then we'll go right over to uh, the story from CNBC. Uh, there we go. Okay, so we're on CNBC. Bank of Japan shocks global markets with bond yield shift. Key talking points. The Bank of Japan caught markets off guard by tweaking its yield curve control policy to allow yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond to move 50 basis points either side of its 0% target as if the market would naturally take it negative. <laughs> I think that, yeah, all right. Um, I mean, the market barely even trades, but if it did, I don't know that there'd be that much demand that we would actually see interest rates negative, but okay. In its policy statement, the BOJ said the move is intended to improve market functioning. I like how they always say in their statements, all the central bankers do this, the intention of the policy. Well, the intention is to, well, who cares what the intention is? As we know, with these government policies and central plannings, the results are usually the complete opposite of the intention. So basically, what they're what they might be telling us is the actual results. It's just that we have to invert the what will happen based on their stated intentions. So improve okay so let's just read this the way it should the res, the boj said the results of this move will most likely be a worsening of market functioning and discouraging a smoother formation of the entire yield curve while not maintaining accommodative <laughs> financial conditions. Oh, Got to have some fun with this stuff. So it says the central bank caught markets off guard by tweaking its yield curve, YCC policy, to allow the yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond, JGB, to move 50 basis points higher. Whoa, wow. And keep in mind, although this is a, a big move for them, it still just takes their maximum yield from 25 basis points up to 50 basis points, basically. In a policy statement, the BOJ said the move. Okay, we talked about that. Now, keep in mind, the central bank introduced yield curve control September 2016. They've been doing this for six, seven years with the intention of lifting inflation toward its 2% target. Interesting, isn't it, that they were just battling for inflation. And now that they actually get the inflation that they were struggling so mightily to create, they're just freaking out. It's like, oh, we got to get this 2% inflation. We got to get it over 2%. We got to get over. We'll do anything like, like Mario Draghi. We'll do whatever it takes 
to just get that darn inflation rate up over 2%. And then once they get it, then like, oh my gosh, the inflation rate is over two. What do we do? Then it's just, you know, pants on fire, pants on fire. <laughs> it's just talk about being reactionary, man. So let's quickly go to a chart of the Japanese CPI. And we can see that it has recently been this high, but that was mostly because of a consumption tax. So I guess what they did is they added a tax. And then when the prices of stuff went up, including the tax, they just called that CPI. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I guess you're raising the price of stuff by adding a tax, but I don't know if we can say that's legit inflation based on the spirit of what inflation actually is, but okay. So they make this kind of exception here for this spike that we saw in 2014 when it went up above 3%. So now we're over 3% without the consumption tax baked into the cake. And the last time Jap Japan was at that level was 1991 as their bubble was collapsing. But that was on the way down. Uh, this might be on the way up. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So basically what's happening is they're having to create bank reserves, obviously, to the central bank to buy these bonds to keep that peg at 25%. And in doing so, they're, they're somehow, um, well, I don't even know that they are. I, I looked at a chart of M2 money supply and it did show that it's going up, but that could be going up for a variety of different reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going up because the Japanese central bank is buying these bonds from the non-bank entities. They could just be buying them from the banks, in which case it would not directly impact M2. And that increase in M2 would be a result of something altogether. This could be a result of a supply shock that's increasing these rates. And they're just assuming that it might be this quantitative easing that they're doing in order to keep rates that low. I would assume that they're sophisticated enough to realize, okay, are we buying from non-banks or are we buying from banks? And therefore, is this M2 money supply increase, which could be increasing demand while at the same time uh, we're getting this supply shock, decreasing supply, and then also add into the mix that the Japanese yen is, is tanking and therefore energy costs going up because you're settling in dollars and that's going to increase input costs. That's going to create 
a somewhat of a supply shock in prices as well. So then the question becomes, you know, is it a result of uh, the oil prices going up, dollar going down, or excuse me, oil prices going up, yen going down in relation to the dollar? I guess it would be both, wouldn't it? So if you're if the price is going up in dollar terms, while at the same time the yen is tanking against the dollar, then that would put double pressure on them to come up with enough currency units to buy the energy they need. And this is Luke Groman's point, I think, where he said that this increase in interest rates or allowing their 10-year benchmark rate to go from 25 basis points up to 50 may be a way not necessarily to defeat inflation, which they could assume is a supply shock, uh, but it might be a way to try to attract dollars. So if you've got dollars and um, whatever reason you want to invest in Japan and uh, you want uh, yen denominated assets, then you would take your dollars and say, oh yeah, okay, I'll buy those JGBs at uh, at 50 basis points. I hate them at 25, but I love them at 50. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe <laughs> that's some crazy thinking, I know, but it's not as crazy as doing yield curve control in the first place and assuming that it would actually make things better. So maybe this is the objective to attract dollars into the country in order to uh, have the dollars where you wouldn't have to create more currency units in, in yen to buy dollars to settle for the commodities that are that you're having to import uh, where you have to settle in dollars. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here, but the bottom line is this is a story that we need to pay attention to uh, for a variety of different reasons. But uh, maybe the the biggest reason is because if you're a U.S. investor, this is something that you could possibly see here in the United States over the next decade. I mean, I know it seems kind of hard to imagine right now with the inversion of the yield curve and all the the rates kind of coming down, even at least uh, a lot of the rates coming down, even though the Fed is increasing the overnight rate. Uh, But we could get into a situation where, especially the long end of the curve, they lose that long end due to a lack of demand from foreign private entities, which is really creating the majority of the demand for the long end right now. And if those rates spike, you see kind of a UK guilt 2.0, where the Federal Reserve would have to come in and, and potentially buy enough bonds in order to bring those yields down. And, and it, remember, that that could be an uphill battle because people assume that, oh, well, if the Fed's in there buying, then they're just lowering rates. Not necessarily. Remember when they did QE1, 2, 3, did rates go up or down at the long end? The exact opposite of what you would expect. And most people think that, oh, well, the Fed comes in and does QE and they drop rates and rates come down and blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, no. Well, just look at QE. And all you got to do is take a chart of the Fed's balance sheet and just simply look at the 10-year Treasury yield, and you will see that when they do quantitative easing, or when they've done it one, two, and three, that the 10-year Treasury, the interest rate, went up, not down. And so this just kind of shows you that at the end of the day, the market is more powerful than the Fed and the government. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. See you in the next video.